All right, so last week we started this new series of messages, The Future is Bright, and uh, somebody ran out of time. That's because somebody uh, had rehearsed his message, and he was, uh, there was a part of the message where I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just sort of cover that quickly, and then we'll kind of get into the meat of what I wanted to share with you last Sunday. And I was just reading the room, and I ended up spending more time up here on this section than I thought I would. And so we ran out of time, and we didn't have, some, we didn't have time to say some of the things that I wanted to, to share with you. But um, we're talking about having a bright future, and are there any guarantees are there any ways that we can sort of expect that God's favor might be on our side, if you will, in the coming years of our life? And I believe there are. And so last week we were covering this, this particular premise. The Christian, the Christian who commits to honoring the purposes of God, the things that God has established as priorities for the way that the universe would work, honoring the purpose of God, trusting in the promises of God, that's faith, that I take God at his word, and if he's made promises, then I'm going to live like those promises are true. That person who honors the purposes, trusts the promises, they will know the favor of God on their life. That's the premise that we're working from. And here's the challenge that I want you as the audience to understand as you listen to this series of messages. I want you to understand that because the church is Christians, the church is not a building. I'm going to say that again and again. It's not stained glass and steeples. It's not pews and pulpits. It's not an institution. The church is a community of Christ followers who have banded together to do what they believe Jesus has asked them to do. The church is Christians, and because of that, every promise that God has made to the church, he's made to Christians. So I want you to listen to this series as we unpack it over the next several weeks both from the perspective of we're talking about Sybil Creek Community Church as an organization of people or a community of people, but I'm also talking about you and your life and how you can feel assured of God's favor towards you based on how you choose to live your life. So I'm asking us to think of this as us, the church, and then you or me as a Christian. Does that make sense? Because every one of the things that we're going to talk about the church, we're going to find has relevance and application to our lives as Christians. Now, when we honor the design of how God created something to work, God is a creator. God is a creator, a designer. The very first thing that we learn about God in the pages of the Bible, long before we learn about his love, before we ever hear about his grace, before we ever understand the plan of his salvation for, for mankind, um, the very first thing that we discover about God is he's a designer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis chapter one, verse one. And so God always creates with purpose when we understand the design for how God created something to work, we will always enjoy the benefits intended by the designer. This is true of how tools work. Tools have a design. When you use the tool in keeping with the design, guess what? You enjoy the benefits of how that tool was intended to work. I'll admit to you, there was a, a time several years ago I was trying to hang some curtain rods. 
And it had been a long, frustrating process if you've ever tried hanging curtain rods. You know, getting them even, getting them into the, the wall. And, and I was on top of the ladder. My patience had long passed war thin. I was not being a very good Christian in the moment. Um, but I was on top of the ladder and I didn't have the tool that I needed. And I didn't feel like coming off the ladder to get the tool that I needed. So I ended up using the handle of a wrench for a hammer. It did not go well for me. Why? Because that's not what a wrench was designed to do. Appliances, they have designs. And if we use the appliance in keeping with the design, then we enjoy its benefits. Does that make sense? So God has established life to work in keeping with certain designs. And when you and I, as the end user, honor God's design for the way things were intended to work, then they work really well. And we enjoy the benefits that our infinitely wise creator established for how something was to work. You following me? So just take your pick. God has a design for marriage. And when we ignore the design for God, that God established for marriage, we shouldn't be surprised then that our marriage doesn't work as well as it could. The same with family. God has a design for how family was intended to work. And when we as a community, a circle of people, of do family the way that God designed it, it works so much better. Sexual intimacy, there's a design. God established that design to work really, really well. But when we ignore it, when we step outside of the design, then our heart gets hurt, our body gets injured, but most of all, our soul gets hurt. Health, God has a design for rest, has a design for work, career, ambitions, jobs, and when we ignore the design, then it doesn't work the way it was intended. Relationships have a design, money, has a design, wealth has a design. When we live in keeping with God's design for money, then his blessings in the financial regard come back to us. Faith has a design, the church has a design. Does this make sense? Some of you who were here last week, you remember this? Okay, so a lot of us in this room, in one way or another, to one degree or another, you have some experience with social media. Maybe you hate social media, so you don't even bother with it. So that's your experience with it. But most of us in, in one regard or another. And most of us who use social media, you're aware that there's like this, um, there's this language that exists on social media, a series of, of abbreviations or acronyms that help. They're like a shorthand for communicating like feelings or reactions to different items on social media. Correct. So you'll recognize some of these, um, LOL, laugh out loud, for your information, to Tiffany we're saying today, happy birthday, in case you missed it, I don't know, right? In my humble opinion or in my honest opinion, you only live once, to be decided, too much information, didn't need that post, thank God it's Friday, rolling on the floor laughing because that was a really good meme. And then TTFN, you know what that is? Somebody did. Tough off now. Yeah, see, it's not really a social media thing, but my boys grew up 
And as a family, we said TTFN because Tigger, that's the way he always says goodbye to his friends in the hundred acre woods with Christopher Robin. Toss off for now. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. So I want to introduce you to another acronym. And I'd like to propose that we could insert this acronym into the Bible, but that's not my call to make. I think it's an important acronym to include in the Bible because most people read their Bible and they miss the promise. They miss the blessing that God attaches to his design. And what we see all through the scriptures is this cause and effect of if I obey God's design, then I enjoy God's blessing. So I'd like to introduce a new one, TFB. The future is bright. You with me? And I, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that we didn't have time to look at last Sunday. I think it's one of the premier passages in all the Bible. I would say to you, it's long, but it should be memorized. You should never forget these words. These are so incredibly powerful. And I've helped us recognize the future is bright. You guys ready? All right, so come with me to, uh, I'm sorry, let's start with this, Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law, that's the scriptures. Keep this book, God's law, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to use God's word as it was designed to do everything written in it. Here it is. Then you will be. I'm sorry. Prosperous and successful. What is that? The future's bright. All right, now let's get to this passage. This is amazing. Proverbs chapter three. My son, Proverbs, is like a dad sitting down with his son, maybe a preteen, early teen, saying, son, here's my observations of the way that life works. Here's the lessons I've learned, some of them the hard way. I'm passing them on to you. My son, do not forget the advice that I'm offering you. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life. The future's bright. Many years and bring you peace and prosperity. That's the future's bright. Look at this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Make them character qualities of your life. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Make them who you are. Never go anywhere without them. Then you, then, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of both God and other human beings. The future's bright. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not 40% of your heart. Not 60% of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Americans, we're really good at this. I got this figured out. I'm really smart. I have degrees. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your what? How many of them? All of them. Submit. Ooh. Americans, we don't do that well. Texans don't do this well. Submit, submit to Christ. Here it is. And he will make your paths straight. The future's bright. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Respect the Lord. Stay away from evil. This, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The future's bright. Honor the Lord with your wealth. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, written to an agrarian society, translated into the 21st century. Your wealth and what you're accumulating in your 401k. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the fruit of your efforts. Then your, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine because God has a design for money. And when we honor it, we enjoy its blessings. The future is bright. My son, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise the Lord's plan. Do not resent his rebuke. He's looking out for you. Because of the Lord, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And as a father, the son, he delights. And sometimes life is hard because God is at work shaping you into the son or the daughter that he longs for you to be. Blessed, blessed are those. The future's bright. For those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable. The future is bright than silver, and she yields better than gold. The future is bright. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing, there isn't anything in all of life that you'll desire that even can begin to compare with her. Long life, the future is bright, is in her right hand, in her left hand. Our riches and honor, the future is bright. Her ways are pleasant ways, the future is bright. And all her paths are peace, the future is bright. She is a tree of life, the future is bright. To those who take hold of her, those who hold fast to her will be blessed. Do you see it? It's all through the scriptures. Jesus teaching his disciples about the importance of being a servant to others. I've set an example that you should serve others like I've served you. Very truly, I tell you, whenever Jesus puts these words together, we ought to pay very close attention. Very truly, I tell you, meaning you can bank on this. No servant's greater than his master, no, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things about being a servant, look at this. You will be blessed if you do them because that's the way God designed it to work. Does this make sense? I love this quote, stumbled across this a few weeks ago. Your future is as bright as your faith. When we start recognizing the wisdom of God's designs and we live up under those designs based on the promises of his blessing toward us in keeping with the design, we have a very bright future. I'd say that to us as a church and I'd say that to you as a follower of Christ. If we, if we as a church will live our lives as a church family in keeping with God's design, our future's bright. If we as a church decide that God's design doesn't work for us and we go off in some other direction, we should not anticipate God's favor toward our church. But the same is true for you as a Christian. Every time that we as Christians choose to do something in our life that does not fit the design, we should not be surprised that it doesn't work in the way that it was intended. So here's what I want us to understand. The future is bright at Cibolo Creek Community Church. If, if, say with me, if 
we remain committed to the values, the priorities, and the practices that God has promised to bless. Does that make sense? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack seven designs that God has established for the church. That God has established for Christians. And if we'll understand those designs and live our lives in keeping with them, then, then we have every reason to expect the favor of God toward us. You say, Paul, it makes me a little uncomfortable that you talk about like God being favorable toward us. That sounds a bit presumptuous. That's not based on us. That's based on God and what he has said in his eternal word. Do you get that? So today, what I want to do is I want to look at the first of those designs and of the seven which I think could be arranged in a number of different ways. This one that we look at today, it has to be the number one. It has to be first. First and foremost. All the others fall out in relationship to this first one. You interested? I really don't see another way to say it. I don't see another way to do it. From my understanding of what I study in the scriptures, this has to be at the top of our priorities, and that is devotion to Jesus. That the main thing must remain the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. That anytime a church or anytime a Christ follower makes it about anything other than Jesus, then we're already veering off the path. It's about a love for Jesus that is sincere and honest and true. It is about a love for Jesus that he is the most important priority of our lives, not a religion about him that's empty. I'm talking about pursuing a relationship with the living risen Jesus Christ in my life every day as my highest priority. Now, here's just some examples of why I would say this is so critical to our understanding of our faith. Look at this. Jesus, he's in a crowd of people, and one of them, a person in the crowd who happened to be an expert in the law, meaning the Old Testament Mosaic law, one of them, an expert in the law, they tested him. This was his motive. I'm going to see if I can catch Jesus in a trap here with my question. He tested him with this question, teacher. Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, it's interesting. Most of us, when we hear the law, we think of the Ten Commandments. So in our minds, we're thinking, okay, of the ten, which one is the most important? But actually, in this question by this expert of the law, he's thinking of the Old Testament law, which contained over 630 different commandments. So he's asking Jesus, of the 630 plus commandments in the Mosaic law, which one is the most important? And it's interesting, Jesus answers the question that doesn't even occur in the law. It's the spirit, the essence of it. Jesus replied, what's this? Love the Lord your God with everything, with your heart, 
with your soul, with your mind, everything about you, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. If you're not doing this, then in essence, you're not doing the rest of them, not from the right spirit. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second commandment, I didn't ask you about the second one, but Jesus felt compelled to tell him the second, and it's not like one, two. It's like, well, if this one's true, then this is also true. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Because we can't run around talking about how much we love God if we don't love our neighbor well. Love your neighbor as yourself and all the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, the entire Old Testament can be summed up in these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. You say, I don't understand the Old Testament when I read it. It's right there, a cliff note. Love God, love your neighbor. Look at this passage. But in your hearts, Peter writes, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, set him up as king. He's the boss and we treat him with that kind of reverence, with that kind of respect. How about this one? Whatever Paul the apostle, he had all these credentials. He had this enormous resume as a, as a Jewish leader. He had done all the things the law had required for him to become you know, a Pharisee, which in, in that context was like the Marines, the moral Marines of their day. I mean, he was the, the boss. But whatever were gained to me, all that stuff on my resume, I now consider it all, it's a loss. What? For Christ. I got Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I, I've lost all things. Nothing in this world matters anymore in relationship to how important Jesus is to me. He says, I consider them garbage. All those things on my resume, garbage. They have no value that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own effort from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, the love of Christ controls us. It's compelling in us. Because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all. That was what we celebrated in communion. Therefore, all of us have been united in Christ's death. And he died for all that those who might, who live. Okay, you listening? For those who might live, no longer live for themselves. Why? Because I've replaced the most important person in my life with Christ that no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I love it. Paul writes this to the church at, at Colossae. Whatever you do, I don't care if you're going to work. I don't care if you're raising kids. I don't care if you're talking about your marriage. I don't care if you talk about your hobbies. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he's most important giving thanks to God the Father through him. One more. So whether you eat or whether you drink, 
We can talk about the monumental arenas of life, but let's just talk about the mundane. If we come down to just the process of eating and drinking, these daily kinds of habits and routines, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all out of a deep devotion for Christ. Because that brings glory to God. Does that make sense? Okay, you're... uh, you ready to get honest? He said, uh, not really. Okay, let's go there. We'll, we'll go easy. But here's the deal. All of us, all of us, we live our lives by sorting out different commitments and responsibilities. It looks a little like this. It might be hard for you to read, but um, you got, you're dating or you're married. That's, that's one of your commitments and responsibilities. Maybe you're raising children. That's another commitment and responsibility. Your friends trying to keep up and build those relationships. That's another commitment and responsibility. Hobbies, just fill in the blank. This is riding motorcycles. This is playing golf. This is playing tennis. This is woodworking, whatever your hobbies might be. You got your job, your career. That's a really important part of the the, the expression of your life, your lifestyle, your money, your health, your faith. And so all of us, we put, we, we, we distribute our life in these sorts of responsibilities and categories. And here's the deal. So we can think of this as maybe like a wheel. And these are the spokes of the wheel. But just to keep it more interesting, you can think about this as like a pizza. <laughs> and all of our pizzas have these slices in them that represent various pursuits of our life. Does it make sense? Now, here's what we need to know about us as human beings. Every single one of us, we distribute time, energy, and money toward each one of these things. However you slice the pie in your life, you are distributing time and energy. You leverage time, energy, and money toward them. Ready? Ready? based on their perceived value. So the ones that you perceive as having the greatest value are the ones that will receive the most of your time, energy, and money. Does that make sense? And so if we're really honest in evaluating our life, what we do is we look at all these responsibilities and commitments and we say, where's most of my time going? Where's most of my energy leverage? Where's most of my money being invested? Because what that does is it reveals what's truly of greatest worth to you. Are you following me? Now, here's, here's what I find. This is just 30 years of being a pastor. This is like 50 some years of being a Christian. What I have found is that most people have lots of time and energy for these things. But when it comes to faith with Jesus, he always gets the leftovers. He always gets the least amount of time, energy, the least amount of our investment. He's usually at the bottom of the list. I'll get to him if there's time. I'll get to him if I weren't so tired. 
and so what we say in our defense is we say, well, I'm too busy to be at church. I don't have enough energy at the end of the day to read my Bible. I don't really have time for prayer. That's not because you don't have enough time or because you don't have enough energy. What that means is that he's just not worth that much to you. You have time for television. You have time for those hobbies. You have energy for those friendships. But if Jesus keeps getting the short end of the stick, the bottom of the pile, the leftovers of time and energy, what we're declaring, this is for me as much as it is for you. What we're declaring is he's not worth that much to me. And that's a revelation then of just the extent of our devotion to Jesus and the place that he holds in our life. So really the picture needs to change if we're going to understand that Christ is the single most important priority of our life. And it looks like this. That our faith just isn't relegated to like a dimension of our life, uh, an arena of our life. It becomes our life and everything from our life comes from this, the hub. That Jesus informs my marriage and my dating. If you're married, you shouldn't be dating because that wouldn't be consistent. You're going to have a date with your... Yeah, oh. <laughs> Could I have an usher? <laughs> yes, you can have a date with your wife. You understood what I was saying. All right. Jesus informs how we should be raising our children. Jesus informs to what degree we're going to let our job and our career dominate our priorities and our energy to where we give so much of it to our job, but we don't have enough of it for our marriage or enough for our children. How many times have I watched professionals abdicate the responsibility when it comes to morality and ethics because it helps them with their career, but it compromises their faith to Christ. So Christ becomes the center of my life because I'm devoted to him and everything else assumes its proper place of priority to that first. Did you follow that? If you're feeling uncomfortable, that's okay. That's the opportunity for you to sit back. I mean, you've carved out 35 minutes in your entire week to sit here and go, okay, let me think about my life. Well, don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Just be honest and say, is Christ really at the top of the list my highest priority? Or is this little exercise just revealed that I've got some realignment to do? It's okay. That's why we're here. We're all working on our lives being better shaped to look like the life that Christ calls us to. Look at this passage. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus. Don't worry about your life. Some of you just have to stop there. Oh, man, my life is full of worry. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. I spent a lot of time worrying about stuff like that. Is it not life more than food? Answer is yes. Is the body more than clothes? Yes. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus said. Just look around you, the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father takes care of them. 
are you much more valuable than they? they?" And the answer is, yes, you are. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single or hour to your life? No, you can't. And why do you worry about clothes? See, look at the flowers of the field. Look how they grow. They don't sit around laboring and spinning yet. I tell you that not even Solomon in, the splendor, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire because it just dies, well, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Okay, watch this. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For, for people without God in their life, pagans, they, they run after these things. All their time, their energies, their pursuits to these things. They run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows. He knows your needs. He's committed to providing for them. Now watch this. You ready? I'm almost done. Okay, watch this. Seek first. Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. The future's bright and all these things that you're worried about, they'll be given to you as well. When you seek first his kingdom, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we, we got to go, we got to go, but let's, what's this? A kingdom, what is it? A kingdom is any arena of your life that's granted the authority to be in charge of you, to tell you what to do. Are you listening? It's possible to live for other kingdoms. To let somebody else or something else tell you what's priority. And many of us end up giving enormous amounts of time and energy to those other kingdoms. And if you're giving time and energy to another kingdom, then the kingdom of God can't be the first kingdom. He doesn't share the top spot. So I'm asking us the question. I'm asking us, like I ask myself the question, what kingdom are you seeking first? You ready to go there? We'll have to go quickly. And that might be good because some of this will make some of you squirm. But it'll, it'll only last for a few minutes. Okay, watch this. Here's some other kingdoms. The kingdom of career. It's your most important priority. It gets all of your best time and energy. Meanwhile, Jesus gets neglected. Your boss, your organization, its mission, it establishes your priorities and you jump in relationship to its instructions. The next one, I hesitate, but we gotta go here. You ready? It's sort of like getting a shot, okay? <laughs> the kingdom of kids. That's the family whose entire sense of priority and where their time, their money, and their energy go is all determined by the priority of providing for the kids. 
giving them what they want. Moms and dads giving up valuable time and energy for their marriage so that their kids have all that they want. Mom and dad have no margin for their family to do the things that are most important because they're always running after all the things the kids want. The kids are in charge. You've turned over the authority. Your family won't work that way. The kingdom of image, this is huge in this area. This image that we want other people to see of us, our success, our having it all together, our knowing what to do. And we cater to this image. We, we live beyond our means. We, we live far outside of what we're really capable of doing only for the sake of people thinking well of us. And now our friends and our family and our, our, our community is in charge of us. The kingdom of wealth, I don't even have to explain this one to you. You understand how it can have so much authority in your life that it ends up consuming all of your time and energy. That's, that's why you end up worrying about it. The kingdom of lifestyle. This is brand names, everything. This is the exotic vacations. This is the car that you can't really afford, the mortgage that you can't really pay for, but, but you'll leverage your financial future just to be demonstrating a lifestyle that other people will think well of you, the kingdom. And then the last one is the kingdom of self. There's a throne in the center of the soul and you're the one sitting on it. You're making all the choices and decisions and you're not seeking first the kingdom of God or you're not trusting in the Lord with all of your heart without leaning on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, you're refusing to acknowledge him and he won't direct your paths. Does this make sense? So I leave you at this. The best way to predict the future is to create it. And the wisest thing that you'll ever do, listen to me, the wisest thing that you will ever do is determine to place Jesus at the center of all that you pursue. To make him the highest priority of your life and to learn whatever you can about living up under his design so that his favor of that design will come in your direction. But if Jesus is not, the most important priority of your life. You'll never know that. You will never go wrong when you decide to make Jesus the highest priority of your life. It's true for the church, Sibylla Creek. It's true for you as a follower of Christ. So here's, here's what we got. I mean, come on. Here's what we got. All of us, me, me, you. We have an opportunity to spend this week thinking about this. Doing some personal evaluation. Taking some inventory of our soul and our life and saying, is Christ as important as I say he is? Does my time, my energy, and my money prove that? A lot to think about.
I'm going to ask you to stand together. Let's pray. God, when we stop to think that your son Jesus gave his life for us, what, what of this world or our life even begins to compare? God, through your Holy Spirit, speak loud and clear in the hearts and minds of every Christ follower in this room. God, in your grace, grant us the focus this week to really think honestly, thoroughly, openly about the place that Christ holds in our life compared to all the other pursuits of it. Thank you for your grace toward us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday.